When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Trashy Divorces, everybody's favorite good podcast about bad relationships. My name is Stacy, and Alicia, you are bringing us back to old Hollywood with the third and fourth husbands of legendary Doris Day. Is that correct? That is correct. Stacy. thanks to all of you for joining us for today's marital misadventure. Doris Day, she of the very, very bad picker. Yep. Coming back this week for part two, Marty Melcher. And the maitre d'. Hmm. <laughs> it's a lot. Financial fraud oh. and so many puppies. Puppies oh. everywhere. Well, we do love puppies. Que sera, sera. Less cool on fraud, big on puppies. It's a great story. We got no time to waste. Let's finish up America's sweetheart, Doris Day, and... Go, go, go. All right, Trash Pandas, if you have not listened to part one, please do so. I mean, you can proceed with this episode, but this episode is going to make a lot more sense if you've listened to part one. Right. Natch. Okay. Typically, if it's a part one, part two, they're not (laughs) standalone. But anyway, continue. Just worth a reminder, if people are washing their dishes or, you know, they're just looped on and they're not aware this is a part two, Mm -hmm. friends, this is a part two. All right, Doris Day where we pick up our story today. George Weedler is out, her second jealous, immature husband. Trombone playing, I forget what he played. Anyway. Doris's son, Terry, he's mm-hmm. about nine years old. Terry's father, Al Jordan, out of the picture. Remember, mm-hmm. that guy was the yeah. sadist psychopath. Doris, single times, going good for Doris. Jack Carson, Ronald Reagan... Here at this time also, stalker agent Al Levy out. Right. He got shipped to New York. New manager coming in the picture, Marty Melcher. Now, dear heart listeners, we do know that Doris will marry Marty Melcher, but there is a slight teeny tiny small problem in the way before they get married. Is Marty Melcher married? You betcha he is. Marty Melcher is married to Patty Andrews, one of the Andrews sisters. Oh, sure. Big singing act of of the day. David Kaufman in his Doris Day, The Untold Story of the Girl Next Door, says, Doris didn't enjoy coming between any man and his wife. It wasn't something she welcomed. But Marty Melcher... He sees Doris. He gets Doris. Also, Marty sees that the Andrews sisters are on the way out. Oh. And Doris is on the way in. Gotcha. According to Kaufman, Melcher, quote, knew the Andrews sisters were going downhill after World War II, and he saw that Doris had potential, unquote. Looking for a new star to hitch himself to? Pretty much, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And his current wife... Patty Andrews isn't really happy about this. Before she will sign the divorce papers, Patty lets everybody know who was to blame, and that was Doris. Hmm. 
Mostly, Patty did this by showing up with a baseball bat at Doris's home. Wow. Mm-hmm. Just for a little little game, little pickup game in the yard. A little game of bash your head in. Pretty mad at Doris Day. Anyway, maybe Yowza. this baseball bat incident, I don't know what sure. Doris Day is thinking. I do think that she hasn't worked out her Saturn return yet. But maybe this whole baseball bat thing makes Doris want Marty more. And now everybody's fighting over him. But did I mention the bad picker? (laughs) Welcome to husband number three. Once we clear off the baseball field, Doris will not describe Marty Melcher this way. The first two descriptions in the last episode, psychopathic sadist, jealous immature. Those were hers. This is me. Marty Melcher. The control freak who squandered her fortune and drove her to the brink of madness. Ah. That's me. Wow. Wow. (laughs) So it's hard to imagine with all the living that Doris had already done that she was still only 27 years old when she married for the third time. Wow. On April 3rd, 1951, Doris Day marries her agent, Marty Melcher at the Burbank City Hall. The two seemed very compatible. They share many interests. As she always had, Doris craved stability in the comforts of what she considered to be a normal family life. They also were both becoming more and more involved day by day with Christian science. Right, so George Weedler brought her into Christian science, so she's bringing Marty Melcher into Christian science. Correct. Okay. And because of their belief in Christian science, both Marty and Doris are following the tenets of no drinking or smoking. And this actually was a pretty good thing for Doris Mm -hmm. because she had become a heavy smoker and it was beginning to hurt her voice. Right, because she was a singer as well as an actress. Remember that part? She and Jack Carson would sleep Mm -hmm. together to keep her from smoking and and him him from from drinking. Yeah. Whatever works for you. Another part of this particular marriage, number three, for Doris, seemed to be ideal. And this part is actually good. Her son, Terry, is really happy about his new stepfather. Terry and Marty get along really well. Doris says of this time, I seemed to have found the solid, serene life I had been seeking. That's great. I mean, I note that there's a fourth marriage to come, so clearly. So Marty has a job, so Doris could just quit work and become a traditional wife and mother. Which is what she had always wanted. Always wanted. No. No. There's no time. There's no time to talk about that. Doris is making back-to-back films and is one of the most bankable and biggest names in Hollywood. During this time little real estate corner, (laughs) Doris Day and Marty Melcher will purchase their home at 713 North Crescent Drive in Beverly Hills in the mid-1950s. They buy this place for $150,000. Which was probably a massive real estate purchase at the time. Uh, Well, it's modest by Beverly Hills standards. Okay. North Crescent is a drive that if you're into Hollywood and stars, it's a Big address where a lot of really big time people have lived North Crescent. This particular home, though, is a little modest, but Doris loves it. And she will live there until she moves to Carmel, California in 2006. So this is her home for decades, almost 50, 50 years. One thing she loved most about this particular home was the giant sycamore tree that overshadows the home. Hmm. 
This particular home on North Crescent was built in 1922. It sits on two-thirds of an acre. It's about 3,000 square feet. So not, yeah, not a, remarkably yeah. large. But price tag, as it goes today, little real estate update, it sold in 2012 for $6.5 million, mm-hmm. sold again in 2020 for a little over $11 million. Wow. Remember the real estate broker, Trashy Divorces alum, Josh Flagg? Mm-hmm. He recently bought that home in March of 2023 for $16.5 million. Wow. Mm-hmm. Little real estate appreciation. Yeah, weird that there's a housing crisis. Okay, go ahead. So, happy family, Doris is working, new home, Doris's mom, Alma. She moves nearby. Later on, Terry Melcher, Doris's son, says that the adjustment of moving in with his mother and Marty Melcher was difficult because Terry had only really known his grandmother as a consistent parent. Hmm. Doris dropped him off with her mom nine years ago and hasn't looked back. Doris has been touring and making movies, so Terry's Mm -hmm. family has been his grandmother. As an adult, when Terry describes this period, he said that suddenly seeing so much of his mother was, quote-unquote, rather a shock. (laughs) It would be weird if you don't know your mom. No, 100%. You see your holidays, you Mm -hmm. see your summers, maybe. Okay, but at the time, everything finally, yay, appears to be going Doris's way. In 1953, Doris is going to make a little film called Calamity Jane, which would be an enormous hit for her. It was nominated for three Academy Awards and won for Best Original Song, Secret Love, which Doris records in one take. The song's lyrics hinted strongly of the main character's closeted gayness. I'm just saying, like, (laughs) times have always been the same, y'all. It has been considered secret love to be a bit of an anthem for the LGBTQ plus community and the film in general is considered to be culturally impactful for its time. The interesting thing here is the movie features Doris Day in both a powerful and complex female lead role. She's breaking a lot of the stereotypes of the day. When Doris Day was asked about the song and the impact of the character by the advocate, Day said she felt the importance to the LGBTQ community was wonderful. She said playing roles that were considered to be feminist were easy for her because they quote-unquote fit the person that she was. Hmm. 1953, significant year for the family, Marty Melcher adopts her son Terry. So from that point on... Terry Jordan is now known as Terry Melcher. Mm -hmm. Marty Melcher also leaves Century Artists, and he and Doris start their own company to handle her affairs. Mm. I just read that, and I want you to think Uh no oversight. Exactly. Uh Mm -hmm. Suddenly, her husband is business managing her money. Doris begins to suffer from depression Hmm. and anxiety during this time, despite her incredible professional success. It was determined by her doctors that Doris was on the brink of a complete nervous breakdown, and the treatment for this would be difficult because her Christian science faith 
meant that Doris would not be able to accept any normal treatments of the day. Hmm. Christian scientists don't believe in medicine. They, yeah, they don't. They don't no take interventions. Medications. They didn't send her to a seaside village. Well, she was told <laughs> to maintain a quote strict regime of quiet with as few distractions as possible. Unquote. So that to me reads like a seaside village in sure. England. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Slowly, Doris recovers. Now. <laughs> Marty Melcher has started to become a problem. Why? A lot of people in Hollywood think that Marty Melcher is just kind of a brute. Hmm. He's overbearing. Nobody in Hollywood likes him. And for Doris Day, who has been around for a long time, is liked by everyone. She's a good time gal. Like, let's have some fun. Mm -hmm. She's dated everybody. She's in the scene. Whoo, Marty Melcher? No. During 1954's Young at Heart, co-starring previous TD alum, Frank Sinatra. Mm. Now, Frank Sinatra is not the guy you want to cross in Hollywood. No. We've seen this over and over again. Because if Frank Sinatra does not like you, he's not going to make any bones about it. Frank Sinatra makes zero secret about his feelings regarding Marty Melcher. Saying he is not even willing to set foot on set. If Melcher's in the building. Hmm. Absolutely. I'm not even, he's got to go. Sinatra says to Jack Warner, I refuse to work on this picture if that creep Melcher is anywhere around. Wow. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the personal life of Frank Sinatra, but uh, I guess I'm going to endorse that. Frank Sinatra sometimes has pretty good advice. In Done and Done this week, we're going to talk about a bit of Advice that Frank Sinatra gave to Robert Evans. Like, when Frank Sinatra talks, maybe you listen. You don't have to agree or disagree with it, but typically dude has something to say. Mm -hmm. If Frank Sinatra doesn't like Melcher, the film's going to go bad, and he's pretty controlling, Frank is, but so is Marty Melcher. He's way controlling. So before I get into the next more terrible bits, (laughs) I have some nicer bits coming I do what I can to bring some levity to this program. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to come back into the year 1956, Alfred Hitchcock and K. Sarah Sarah. We'll see you on the flip. Hey, Trash Pandas. When you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and... I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. 
We've all seen the headlines in the news of how someone lost their life in an act of cold-blooded murder. And while it's sad and grabs your attention, most people go on with their day without giving it another thought. But have you ever stopped to think about the life of the person at the center of the news story? They were more than just a headline or a statistic. They were someone's loved one or friend. I'm Mike Morford, and my podcast, The Murder of My Family, dives into some of those stories to help listeners get to know the person who was lost and how their death affected those closest to them. Listen to The Murder of My Family everywhere you listen to podcasts. There are well over 100 episodes to binge on now. Oh, friends, this is a little nice. This is a little fun. Before we get to the more terrible stuff, okay, a little levity. I don't know if everybody is familiar with this. Alfred Hitchcock, famous filmmaker. He's worked with a lot of blondes. Most famously, Grace Kelly, Tippi Hedren, but sure. Doris Day was also a Hitchcock blonde. Hmm. It's not what she is most known for, But Doris Day will play the role of Joe Conway McKenna, a popular singer and Jimmy Stewart's wife in 1956's The Man Who Knew Too Much. A lot of people don't know that it was in that film that Doris Day sings the song that would become one of her signature melodies, Que Sera Sera. Whatever will be, will be. It became an immediate hit. It will win the Academy Award for Best Original Song. In the film, The Man Who Knew Too Much, the song actually plays an integral part to the plot, and it's a fairly dark (laughs) plot point. So Doris Day, Jimmy Stewart, and their son in the movie get unintentionally entangled in a plot to assassinate a former prime minister in Morocco when the family's on vacation. Okay. (laughs) I mean, when you you just lay it out, it sounds like, yeah, that t- I'm sorry. Can't I can't wait to watch that movie. I don't want to give any spoilers for a movie that's 70 years yeah. old, but The Man Who Knew Too Much is a it's a great film. So the conspirators are determined to prevent the family, Doris Jimmy's son, from interfering with their evil nefarious plot. Okay, what happens? I'm using Doris and Jimmy here just for the sake of understanding the plot. Mm-hmm. Mom and dad, family, their son is kidnapped. And they believe he is being held at the embassy. And when they are invited to have dinner there, they come up with a plan to find and rescue him. I'm sorry, all I can think about is that Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston screwball comedy that was on Netflix not too long ago. Sure, I think I watched it. Like, none of this is anything new. So here's Doris Day and Jimmy Stewart, and they've come up with a plan to rescue their son that's hidden at the Moroccan embassy. Doris Day, at the dinner party, sings the song. The song is one that she sings to their son at bedtime. Oh, okay. Right? So it's the the family family whistle. It's the family Mm -hmm. anthem. And all the guests find the song to be a really odd choice when Doris Day sits at the piano and sings. But she knows her son is going to recognize the song and her voice. Mm -hmm. And he'll make noise. Because she knows, yeah, 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 he knows we're there. Right. Soon, they begin to hear their son whistle. Meanwhile, Jimmy Stewart's character, who's just been hanging out at the back of the room, like, <laughs> uh, like Jim Comey hanging out in the back of the curtains. Sure, There's sure. There's something very similar about that scene when you watch it. Anyway, Jimmy Stewart's character, who's been hiding against the back of the room, sneaks out to find their son while everyone else is distracted by... Doris Day's performance. The origin of the phrase que sera sera 
is actually the interesting story. The song was written by the legendary songwriting and composing team Livingston and Evans. Livingston and Evans you know because they are responsible for songs like Silver Bells and Mona Lisa and Buttons and Bows, as well as the theme songs for Bonanza and I Am Mr. Ed. Hmm. So the composers, I know, this you never know where you're going to go in this story, won three Academy Awards for Best Song in the Motion Picture for K Sera Sera, Mona Lisa, and Buttons and Bows. They were nominated four other times for their songs. Jay Livingston had seen the phrase K Sera Sera in the film The Barefoot Contessa, <laughs> starring my favorite, Ava Gardner. This particular quote, Kesarasara was carved in stone in the Barefoot Contessa, meaning what will be will be, and Jay Livingston thought it was the perfect title for a song. It was the only song they wrote without it being an assignment for a specific project. Hmm, They just wrote the song because they were like, this is great. So Livingston and Evans write the song two weeks after writing it. They get a call from Alfred Hitchcock's office saying that, They needed to, Livingston, could you write a song for Doris Day to sing to a little boy who's been kidnapped in the embassy in this upcoming movie? Sure. And Livingston knew that Que Sera Sera was perfect, but he didn't want Hitchcock to know that it wasn't written specifically for him. (laughs) He's not like, hey, I got exactly what you need. Sits on it for a minute. Let me noodle that. So they wait for two weeks before presenting it to Hitchcock. So he would think they wrote it specially for his assignment. Mm-hmm. Hitchcock's response after they played Kesara Sarah for him was, Gentlemen, I didn't know what kind of song I wanted, and that is the kind of song I want. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. It wasn't loved by everyone. Doris Day hates it. Hmm. Hates it. She feels it's a child song. She hates the title. She thinks it's wrong for her. She tells Alfred Hitchcock, I'm doing this in one take. I'm doing it one. Right. It's the first and final time I'm ever going to sing this song. If we could just hurry up these next five minutes and be done with the scene. But of course, best of well-laid plans. That does not end up being true. Doris Day would sing this song many, 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 many thousands, hundreds of thousands of times. I'm certain as K Sera Sera becomes a mega hit. One of her signature songs. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. Okay. I want to stay in the good times for a second for a few more spiderwebs here. Let's talk about Doris Day and the filming of Hitchcock's The Man Who Knew Too Much. Doris Day, just so you know, has a lifelong dread of flying. Will not get on a plane. She rarely agrees to fly. So when Alfred Hitchcock offers her the part in The Man Who Knew Too Much in 1956, Doris refuses the role, nearly refuses it, because it would require her to travel to London and then to Marrakesh. Not only did Doris think that she would have to fly to both of those places, but big news, it's 1956, this would be Doris's first time leaving the United States. Okay. But her husband at the time, Marty Melcher, of course, naturally, talks her into taking the role. And Marty even suggested, huzzah, Doris, don't worry about it. We travel by boat and train, and we'll take our 14-year-old son, Terry, with us. See in the world. It's fantastic. Yeah. To get to London, 
The family spends two days and two nights on the Santa Fe Super Chief train to Chicago. Then they'll spend time on another luxury train to New York, where they will board the Queen Elizabeth to cross the Atlantic Ocean. Fancy. Well, you mentioned a seaside resort. Sure. Hey, once on board the ship, Doris thoroughly enjoys herself. Sure. She basks in the privacy, the ability to rest, to have some quiet time. But unfortunately, whatever peace Doris had found in that voyage across the ocean, it was quickly gone on a car ride to their suite at Claridge's famous London hotel. Doris was mobbed by adoring crowds and found herself almost to be a prisoner at Claridge's Hmm. when she was not filming. Nothing new under the sun. Doris Day was the Taylor Swift of 1956. There are crowds camped outside the front door of the hotel. Doris and her team has to leave the hotel secretly, like early, early in the morning, to fly to Paris for dress fittings with Edith Head, the studio's head costume designer. Biographer Eric Braun writes about the rest of the journey to Marrakesh. They drove to the south of France and became caught up unwillingly, as far as Doris was concerned, in the Cannes Film Festival. After pleasant meetings with old friends Van Johnson, who went into a decline over the reception of his film with Deborah Carr, The End of the Affair from Graham Greene's novel, and Peter Ustinoff, who gave them an enjoyable beach picnic, they drove to Marseille and from thence took the boat to Morocco. Once in Marrakesh, Morocco, Doris saw many animals that were clearly emaciated and being mistreated. And an animal rescuer was born. And an animal rescuer was born. I mean, Doris had always liked animals, but sure. this is this is what mm-hmm. sets it off. Doris Day tells Alfred Hitchcock to uh, go ahead and replace her with Grace Kelly on the film. <laughs> Because Doris couldn't stand to be around animals that were not being cared for. And you're going to need to, like, replace me because I'm going to stay here and help these animals. Why Grace Kelly? Naturally, she's already appeared in three Hitchcock films, Rear Window, Dial M for Murder, To Catch a Thief. But Grace Kelly's also the Princess Serene Highness of Monaco at this point. Okay. Grace knows the gig, but Grace has a new gig. Right, right. <laughs> So Alfred Hitchcock is like, "Mm, Doris, no, I'm not going to do that. Grace Kelly has a new job. I can't really uh, call her back from her new job. Right. Doris is like, okay, I'll do the film, but I'm not going to film one single scene until every animal around our shooting location is fed and watered. You got to take care of everything before we begin filming. And Hitchcock does. He sets up a special feeding and watering station for the horses Cows, dogs, goats, lambs, cats, and any other stray animal who happened upon the set. This just is reminiscent of our front porch. (laughs) You're not lying. (laughs) Cats, possums, raccoons, birds. (laughs) This meeting of the minds of Doris's care for other things and Hitchcock actually doing it. This makes the two of them form a very strong relationship. And Doris later said that Hitchcock may have been the only genius she had the pleasure of working with. Hmm. She called him a lovely man. Isn't that nice? Yes. (laughs) 
there's at least a few nice things that happened to Doris. Yeah, and I feel like we've heard some negative stories about Hitchcock in the run of this show, too. Am I correct in that? Hitchcock had his demons. Yeah. For certain, for certain. But when it came to Doris Day, she put her foot down and... Again, Grace Kelly not available for the gig. So I wanted to talk about some of the nice things that were happening with Doris Day, as her husband Marty is not one of the nice things. He's controlling of Doris, her time, her projects, and her money. Doris is not really aware of what Marty is doing with her money. Mm -hmm. I'd say their money, but it's not their money. It's her money. But she trusts Marty. Right. So she doesn't question it at first. It would not take long or very long before Doris realizes that her husband was not as great as she once thought. Things progress along for our couple. But by 1962, with constant arguments between Doris and Marty about financial matters, Marty's temper and control issues and Terry's college issues. Uh, Things are bad. Terry and Marty's relationship had completely fallen apart. Hmm. So Doris is on the outs with Marty. Terry's on the outs with Marty. And one day, Marty Melcher hits Terry in front of Doris. Never okay. Never okay. Doris Day says... That is never okay. That was the last straw for Doris. And she tells Melcher she wants a divorce. He moves into the Sunset Tower Hotel on Sunset Strip. But, dot, 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 the separation does not last. Hmm. When the couple reunites, Marty's control over Doris's choices and projects and her money grows even tighter. Kind of doubles down. Yep. Melcher has a partner in his financial duplicity and shady dealings. That partner's name is Jerome Rosenthal. He is a Beverly Hills lawyer. Jerome Rosenthal was apparently the mastermind who guided Marty Melcher in his fraudulent investments, sham ventures, and embezzlement. How does Marty Melcher fund all this? Doris Day's money. Hard-earned money, yeah, which Doris Day trusted her husband to manage for her. Also, like, how do you explain to your son that you're getting back together with the stepdad who just slugged him or whatever? I hate everything about this. Go ahead. Told you it was a good story. (laughs) All right. Let's go ahead and we're going to kind of make it towards the end of the 1960s now. I want to tell you about one other weird casting choice that did not happen before we take another quick break and get to the fallout with Marty Melcher. Remember the film The Graduate Mm, and Bancroft? Mm -hmm. One of Mike Nichols' films. Whoa. Sure. Mike Nichols originally thought of Doris Day for the role of Mrs. Robinson in The Graduate. But Doris Day would not take the part because she said she found the movie to be quote-unquote Vulgar and offensive. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it would really be contrary to the... uh, Aesthetic. To the image that she had built. In his 1998 book, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, and How Sex, Drugs, and the Rock and Roll Generation Saved Hollywood, writer Peter Biskind writes that Doris Day turned down the part after reading the script, telling Mike Nichols that it offended my sense of values. Hmm. 
it's hard to imagine Doris Day in that role instead of Anne Bancroft's iconic portrayal of the older woman seducing her daughter's boyfriend. I don't know. Imagine how different of a film that could have been. That's 67 graduates released. Doris isn't going to have a whole lot of time to take on a new role because in 1968, Marty Melcher becomes chronically ill. Hmm. We're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to get to the end of Marty, the fallout and what happens next. We'll be right back. Okay. So controlling periodically violent dude is now ill. Who's also been stealing her money without her knowing it. Marty in 1968, he's sick. Nobody knows why he's sick. No one knows what's causing his symptoms, but he's lethargic, unable to eat. He's homebound. He can't leave the home. Doris nursed him and was worried that he would die. But again, because of her religious beliefs, oh, right. Marty doesn't see a doctor until he had been sick for a very, very long time. By the time that Marty was taken eventually to the hospital, they learned he had a heart condition that had been left untreated for so long that it was unlikely that he would survive. Nonetheless, Marty Melcher undergoes emergency heart surgery, but ultimately it was to no avail. He will die in April of 1968 at the age of 52. Hmm. That is young. Pretty young. Goodbye. Marty Melcher, the control freak who squandered her fortune and drove her to the brink of madness. Let's unpack that. Yeah, the fortune squandering, yes. Doris Day does not learn of Marty Melcher and Rosenthal's schemes and the dire situation they had put her in until after Marty's death. Once Doris realizes what had happened, she learns that Melcher and Rosenthal had squandered Some millions of Doris Day's money and left her in debt. You want to guess how many million? Five. Up. Fifteen. Up. Oh, God. Twenty. Twenty million dollars in debt. Twenty million. Oh, my God. How? Oh, my God. So within days of Marty Melcher's death, Mm -hmm. Doris Day and her son Terry learns that she's absolutely destitute at this point. Oh, my God. She's been left penniless. Not only is she out $20 million, she owes $450,000 in back taxes. Mm. Process. I mean, just, whoa. At the time, Doris explained, my husband thought Rosenthal was a genius. I was working away, knowing nothing and trusting. As you can imagine, Doris was distraught and essentially destitute. That's pretty bad, right? That's a pretty bad Sunday of poop. Pretty bad. You ready for poop sprinkles on the poop Sunday? Yeah. It gets even worse when Doris finds out that Marty Melcher had signed a binding contract without Doris's knowledge or approval for a little television show that she was signed up to do called The Doris Day Show. Mm. What was that? The Doris Day Show? Yeah. Yeah, a show with her. That he I, signed her up to do that she's that like, she was what? not aware of. Well, it sounds I'm like gonna do a, I'm going to do a what show? Sounds like she needs some income. Doris has no desire to do the show, but now Doris knows that she has no choice uh-huh. in the matter legally Le- or yeah. financially. Yeah. Then you ready? Oh, God, no. 
Okay, so let's throw some poop cream on the poop sprinkles on the poop Sunday. Then Jerome Rosenthal has the damn audacity to sue Doris Day for unpaid fees. Oh my God. Claiming whatever property was left should belong to him. Doris Day fights back and sues him for malpractice and fraud. Okay. Sounds right. It takes five years for Doris to get her day in court. But in March 1974, Doris Day was awarded $22,835,646, which was the largest amount ever granted in a civil suit in California at that time. Wow. You know, the wheels of justice grind slowly, but they grind fine. Rosenthal was also disbarred. Wow. Unfortunately, Doris Day would never see that amount of money. Sure. What do you think happens? Rosenthal declares bankruptcy Mm. to avoid paying Doris Day. Yep. It was reported in 1977 that Rosenthal's insurers settled for a $6 million compensation that Doris Day received in 23 annual installments. Yikes. Well... Uh, uh, that's, that's horrible. <laughs> Goodbye to you, Marty Melcher. Mm-hmm. Ugh. So it, all in all, it, it was going to end up taking 28 years to recoup a fraction of what he stole? It is terrible. That's, yeah. Wow. Justice. Not so much. As trashy divorces go, that wasn't a trashy divorce. No. But it, trashy. But looped into every other trashy thing that's happening. Mm -hmm. Oh boy, Doris Day. Okay, so you would think Doris, despite all of her previous marriage experiences, she'd steer off. She'd be like, nah, man, Mm -hmm. I'm good. Yeah, all done. Seen it, done done it. I'm just going to have some fun in Hollywood. Had three of those, got got a kid for it. We're good. Doris decides to marry again in 1976. This is, again, my description of Doris's fourth husband. His name is Barry Comden, the maitre d' who could not compete with her dogs. Oh, my God. This time, Doris's groom was Barry Comden. He was a maitre d' at the Beverly Hills Old World Restaurant. See, the Beverly Hills Old World Restaurant is one of Doris's favorite restaurants. Barry is 12 years younger than Doris. But every time Doris would go to dine at the Beverly Hills Old World Restaurant, Barry the maitre d', because that's his job, Doris. Yes. Make sure to have her favorite wine chilled and the best table ready for her. And the way to get to Doris's heart is through her pets. So Barry, because it's his job, Doris, <laughs> make sure that he always gives Doris meat leftovers and bones. Mm-hmm. The proverbial doggy bag Absolutely. for Doris's dogs. Actually for the dogs. Because it's his job, Doris. Some of Doris's close friends were skeptical of Comden's intentions and would later refer to the time of this relationship with him as the Comden years. Oh, God. Despite her friend's concerns, because it's his job, Doris, Doris Day <laughs> continued to date Comden. Barry Comden would later write about one of those dates in a proposal for a tell-all memoir about Doris Day. 
He writes, I sat on the end of her bed while she took a quick shower. On an impulse, and as course of joke, I opened the shower door. She let out a yell, and for the first time I laid eyes on the most beautiful body I had ever seen. Knock yourself out, you two. <laughs> These two really do. Shortly after their marriage, Perry Compton and Doris Day have a ill-conceived idea to start a pet food line with her name on it. Now, all intentions being really good here, Doris believes that it will be a perfect way to raise money to start her nonprofit animal foundation. Mm -hmm. It almost sounds like she's maybe a little ahead of her time because that would totally fly today. Like Paul Newman. Yeah. I'm going to set this company up for my rescue organization. Mm -hmm. It was not, however, a success and quickly unraveled. Unfortunately, the company they had contracted with was apparently in some kind of pyramid scheme. Oh, my God. So this is like Doris Day's doggy dinners or something. And Barry and Doris don't learn about the pyramid scheme until sure. after they entered the partnership with them. So Doris Day's doggy dinners she's got a down bad, the drain. Yeah, she's got a bad picker in so many ways. Okay, you can imagine, naturally, it does not take long for this marriage to sour. Barry Comden started complaining. What was his big complaint? The dogs. Mm -hmm. And how Doris paid more attention to all of her animals than to him. He'll tell the Sunday Mail in 1996. <laughs> I can't. She had 14 dogs. And the final straw was when I was kicked out of bed to make way for Tiger, oh a poodle. <laughs> <sighs> Barry and Doris divorced in 1982. So that was like five, six years? Yeah, six years but, coming and going. But then he tried to sell a tell-all and like, okay. Goodness, Doris Day. No more marriages. Doris is... Uh, that part of her life is shelved done. it mm -hmm. shelved it doris day does choose to live her last few decades primarily out of the spotlight she will never marry again after divorcing barry comden and focused instead on her animals and her animal activism full-time doris day lobbies congress and uses her political connections, especially during the Reagan administration, yeah. to improve laws protecting animal rights, including pioneering the Spade A USA program. Well, if you've got an ex-boyfriend in the White House and you're still on good terms, you may as well use that. Doris was often mistakenly reported to be living the life of a recluse, but no such thing. She just had no desire to have a high profile any longer. Mm -hmm. She was active right up until her death and stayed very connected with her fans. Hollywood continued to call Doris and she received multiple offers over the years after her retirement. It's no wonder, though, she had gotten her fill of movie making. Doris Day, listen to this, 39 movies in 20 years. Wow. In 1989... The Hollywood Foreign Press honored Day with the Cecil B. DeMille Award at the Golden Globe Ceremony. In 2009, Doris Day received a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. None of those meant as much to Doris as the legacy of making the world a better place for animals. That is her true work. The Doris Day Animal Foundation continues to be a leading animal advocacy organization, 
Not only does it fund shelters and rescues for animals, it also provides scholarships for veterinary students and subsidies for senior citizens to adopt senior pets. Hmm. I feel like they could totally make Doris doggy dinners work today. <laughs> 100%. In explanation of her love and passion for animals, Doris Day once tells a biographer, During the painful and bleak periods I've suffered through these past years, my animal family has been a source of joy and strength to me. I have found that when you are deeply troubled, there are things you get from the silent, devoted companionship mm-hmm. of your pets that you can get from no other source. I have never found in a human being loyalty comparable to that of any pet. Making me want to go give Inman a hug. I didn't know I was going to get teary-eyed sure. over that. No, it's true, though. Pets are wonderful. I know. My my life would be so much poorer if I had not had all, all the critters I've had. This episode really has had a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Doris Day remains vibrant, active, and healthy all the way right up to before her death when she contracted pneumonia. She died at the age of 97 wow. on May 13th, 2019. Somehow this went right past me. I just didn't, I was not aware. It did not go past me. I've been wanting to do this story for a very, very long time. Doris Day wants to be buried in an unmarked grave. Mm -hmm. Like so humble, she asked that any fans wishing to pay their respects to her do so by donating or volunteering their time to an animal foundation. Hmm. Who argues with that? And that, my darlings, is Doris Day, America's sweetheart girl next door, with a life that you might not have known all the details of. And sticking up for the animals. I love it. So I'm going to give Doris Day some crowns for her animal activism. Mm -hmm. I'm giving Marty Melcher the majority of trash cans in this one just for the yeah. Fraud and the abuse and the trickery and the secrecy and oh god that's terrible. Maybe Barry Comden gets just a few trash cans filled with Doris Day's doggy dinners. <laughs> Fascinating and occasionally harrowing much more than I would have thought. But what a life. What a life. What surprises. Yeah. Doris Day. Lots of surprises, and we're not done unpacking the Doris Day surprises. Let me tell y'all, this week on Patreon, we do have our second Sunday salon this January 28th for $10 and up, people. It's a Zoom call. We hang. Details are coming Monday, along with Dumpster Dive. Dumpster Dive this week, I'm really excited about. We're going to follow up with a little bit on Saturn Return, how it relates to Doris Day, and Hmm. a few... Am I the terrible person here in this situation as it connects to Saturn Return? Okay. I got a little Alicia in the Stars planned for Dumpster Dive. Really interesting. This weekend on Patreon, we're also dropping a special bonus edition of Spiderwebs about Terry Melcher, Doris Day's son, and his connection into the murders of Sharon Tate and Jay Sebring, the Manson family family murders murders. in August of 1969. All of that's coming on Patreon. Early goodies for you over there this week. Don't forget, you can always check us out 
and our other two podcasts for free. Trashy Royals drops on Thursdays anywhere you listen to podcasts and your Dominic Dunn fancast, Done and Done, drops on Mondays. So much. Always something cooking mm-hmm. over here in the land of trash candy. Friends, thank you everybody for joining us, for telling your friends about all the stuff we do. Your kind support on Patreon, your kind reviews, your awesome emails. Don't forget you got two more weeks to send in your 2024 breakup predictions. Absolutely. Send your top three to trashydivorces at gmail.com. With the subject line predictions, we are designing a cool sticker to be part of the prize pack that uh, folks will receive if their picks break up this year. It's a lot of fun over here. It's Again. grim. It's grim, I guess. And yet. <laughs> Always something cooking. Friends, thanks again, everybody, for being awesome. We can't wait to see you back Wednesday. Stacy, you're going to be bringing us a more contemporary trashy tale. An unfortunately trashy tale at that. Until we meet again, darlings, wherever it may be. Quesara, sera. Keep those hands clean. Keep your hearts trashy. Big love, everybody. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there. And thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.